When, for example, my mother was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, which occurred some six years ago, my first question to the diagnosing physician was not, how do we handle this? Which would have been sensible and intelligent, because, trust me, it's a really hard disease to handle. And even I knew as much at the time. My question was, how long before she dies? Because that, to me, just then, was the absolutely worst thing that could happen. It was, for that matter, for my mother as well. Like her, I believed nothing was nothing. You couldn't embroider a vacuum. And those who tried, who preferred to spin elaborate gold-threaded tales about the afterlife stuffed with angels and large family reunions, were simply to be pitied. As a matter of fact, if there were two elements I hoped, and hope still, never to encounter after death, it would have had to be, one, angels, and two, large family reunions. But then I began researching this book, at the very time my mother was struggling to retain a foothold on sanity and on life, and I began contemplating the stories I heard, not simply from those who had endured death and returned, but also from those whose business it is to research, examine, and catalog such experiences. It would be easy to surmise that the approach of a close relative's death made me anxious for consolation, and maybe that's why I came to put a lot of stock in some of these experiences and also in the conclusions of the scientists who study them. But I promise you, that isn't me. Belief just isn't in my DNA. In any case, this book has nothing to do with belief. On this subject, the issue of recollection of incidents or images or encounters that could only have occurred or been seen during clinical death, they are simply, as some of the doctors and scientists I've interviewed point out, too many experiencers and too many experiences to discount. What you are about to read, then, are the chronicles not necessarily of what used to be called near-death experiencers, but of three categories of people. Those who have actually died, however briefly, those who have observed the dead, and then, when the dead were revived, listened to their accounts of what they say occurred during that time and found them accurate. And finally, those who examine and research what we are now being told is going on after life is extinguished. The Galileos, I call them. Because their voices aren't often heard, or if heard, are dismissed. Their views often causing them enormous pain, the derision of colleagues, loss of tenure. Yet their ability to examine, to listen, and to draw intelligent conclusions is really a gift of modern science. We are in the process of dissecting and reassembling the hereafter. We don't fully know what it is, yet, but we know it exists. We are now living in what I and others like to call the age of Lazarus. Cardiopulmonary resuscitation, a frequent way of reviving the dead that was vastly improved in the United States during the 80s, has now become so commonplace that we no longer consider it at all miraculous. But in a way, it really is. It has opened a window, 
led to the resuscitation of thousands upon thousands of the formerly dead, and brought us death anecdotes that once were the province only of mythology or the Bible. As more and more people have been brought back, their once stilled brains stuffed with memories of what they say occurred while dead, there are an increasing number of such stories. In other words, true or false, probable or improbable, their recollection of events they claim occurred while out tells us one important thing. The ability to perceive and think kept on going while they were dead. Death does not invariably signal the last act of the play. As I researched this book, I began to realize that however diligently a few stout-hearted scientists may examine the cases, the tens of thousands of reported cases by now, of those who have swept through death's doors, the rejection...